Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, download the Overflow Church app or visit our website at overflowdfw.com. Well, good morning. It's a pleasure to uh, be here with you guys today. Like Josh said, I have known he and Leslie for a very long time. In fact, we met uh, back at Christ for the Nations back in 2000, and he was a youth pastor in El Paso at the time, and uh, I was just there doing a little bit of speaking that summer and uh, ministering in a youth pastor's conference, and he had come out and visited with me, and we just instantly connected, uh, bonded in that moment, uh, I think just over pain, over the pain in ministry, and little did I know that I was going to go through so many other things that would be so painful, and I went from 16 years ago ministering to him and some dark times in his life to him ministering to me later on in life in a way that uh, has deeply touched me, and I want to share a little bit about that with you today. Let me just talk about your pastor. That's what guest speakers are supposed to do. They're supposed to brag on the pastor when they're here, but I, I uh, have, again, known this couple for quite some time and truly authentic, truly authentic, genuine, hard workers. You just look around even the building here. Their creativity uh, is fantastic, but they don't let creativity get in the way of their character, and that's what you should know about them. Very dedicated, very loyal to their friends, obviously loyal to the Lord. They love worship. Uh, I remember uh, watching Leslie be a part of the worship team many, many, many years ago, like headbanging. That was back in the headbanging worship days, and she would just, what's it called, uh, hitting or thumping or something, the bass, slapping, yeah, slapping the bass, and she would slap that thing, and she would, she would start sweating. I'd never seen a girl sweat that much in my life. But I loved her because of her sweat, and, and, I, and, and they, you know, they fell in love. It just was amazing to watch uh, what happened uh, in their life and watched with all their babies, uh, all their babies. And they just are a wonderful uh, pastoral family, and you should love them and honor them any chance that you get. Amen. Give them a hand. Amen. Amen. They're, they're dreamers, and, and they have a dream. They always will have a dream. So I would encourage you to talk to them, uh, get, a, get, get a feel for what their dream is, and then come alongside that. Uh, good, great pastors, God puts dreams in their hearts. And dream, another word for dream is a vision. And if there's a church without a vision, if there's, an, if there's not a to-be-continued, if there's not something that makes you want to come back, you know, I don't want to miss next Sunday or three months from now we're doing this. Or if there's no vision, then the church literally will perish. Or what that really means is like a vine, a grape vine, it will, the grapes will shrivel up and shrink like raisins. And I've been to a lot of raisin churches. And what you want is you want a plump, juicy, full of vision, full of life church. And if you don't know what that is, I encourage you to find some leaders, talk to your pastors, have coffee with them. They love coffee. And just, just hear their heart, hear their vision. Because it doesn't matter how messed up you are. It doesn't matter uh, what you're doing in life. You may not have some big, high, fancy position or something like that. I promise you this church can use you. There is some way, somehow, for you to be used by God in this church. And you may never touch a microphone. And I can tell you, as I tell my story... We've had hundreds of people in our lives and ministries, over 22 years of ministry, 24 years of ministry, I think, yeah. So, and that, that people that just changed diapers, that, 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 that parked cars, that, that screwed in light bulbs, that laid floor, that ran wire, that did sound, that were just so faithful, served coffee, and, 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 and you are the people that, that make the church. They may come for a big name, but they'll stay because of the people in the chairs. Amen? They are a very sincere couple. I love them. My wife's here with me today. We um, have been married for since 94. Is that right? So we're about to celebrate 22 years of marriage on December 17th. And we have been together since 1989. 
Now, there's a, it seems like this is somewhat of a younger church, so some of you were not born. But I will tell you this story in case you want to know. Uh, I was 15 years old, and she was 16 years old, okay? So she's still older than me, by the way. And on our first date, she came and picked me up in her car. Amen, amen, amen. Won't, yeah. Our first kiss, in case it's okay to share this in the church, our first kiss was May 28th, 1989, at 1030 at night in my driveway in her car. Debbie Gibson, Lost in Your Eyes, was playing on the radio. We still rock that song every now and then. I still remember what she was wearing, and I still have the actual perfume bottle, Liz Claiborne, that she was wearing. And when she ran out of that perfume, I asked for the bottle like a stalker, and I kept that. And over five and a half years later, we were married when I was 21 years old. We've been together ever since. I started in full-time ministry when I was 19 years old, and she was right there with me. And a couple of years later, we were married. So it's, it's, been, it's been a wild ride. All of our dating and married life has been in ministry. It's all we've ever known, and it's all we ever gave ourselves to was ministry. And I want to tell you, um, ministry is hard. It is hard on a relationship. It's hard on a human being, period. And there's a lot of battle wounds out there for people that are in ministry, not just full-time ministry, but also volunteers and, you know, team members, uh, lay people that come up and serve in the church. It's very difficult. It's very trying. I do want to say hi to all the people on Facebook. There are some friends and family and some old church members and things that are on Facebook. So hi, Facebook. Glad that you're here. Uh, Share this wonderful church and get the word out. When you're in ministry, there um, there aren't a lot of safe places for you to share your weaknesses as a minister. There are a whole lot of places, right, Josh, where you can share your successes. There's a whole lot of places to go and collaborate and network and get ideas, but there's not a lot of places for you to go and just be real, let it all hang out without consequence or, this is a key, without retaliation. You see, when you're in ministry, if you let someone know that you've got a weakness, Sometimes there's retaliation, there's, there's acts of vengeance even that can happen, and you can be deeply hurt. You can be let go, you can be shunned, you can be rejected. I mean, a husband and wife in ministry or a high-level volunteer could have problems at home in their marriage, but they can't tell anybody about it. I mean, they can even go talk to their own pastor, and their pastor will slowly move them out of that position. Instead of actually dealing with the root of what's going on, relationally, like we should, we put a polish on it because we don't really want to hear that from our leaders. And that's hogwash, to be honest with you. Pastors are not now, I mean, it's not new. They have for a very long time been quitting the ministry at an alarming rate. Either got ousted or they quit. And not just pastors, but key volunteers unpaid staff, volunteers, are quitting the church still at an alarming rate. I mean, the statistics are, are staggering, and I promise you this, it's not because of the hard work. It's because of the show. The unrealistic expectations and idealistic standards that get placed on Christians and on leaders. If you dare show your weaknesses again, you could be let go, you could be shunned, you could be ousted. So over time, we try to deal with it on our own. And that goes for all of you sitting out in the chairs today. It goes for all of you online. We just say, okay, I'm only going to get my hands slapped so many times before I realize just keep it to yourself. Okay? Because every time I let it out or I show the real me, Especially the higher you go in ministry, well, the more you get slapped. So you say, I'll deal with it on my own. You know what? I'll just study more. Man, I'll pray more. I'll fast. Uh, I, will, I, I will dig in. I, I, will, I will not commit this sin. Uh, the sheer amount of willpower that Christians are trying to exert uh, with still loads of failure is staggering. And it's damaging to people. It's killing people. 
But mostly what we do is we begin to play the game. And the game is cover and conceal. Cover and conceal. I'm going to do my best to share with you what God has spoke to me and what he's been dealing with me about for about 18 months now in my life. And it started, again, about a year and a half ago when everything in my life began to fall apart. You see, I want you to know this, and I'll share more of my story in a few moments, but this is the first time I've been in the pulpit for about 14 months. The first time. If you got your phone or your Bible, turn to 2 Kings in the Old Testament. 2 Kings chapter 5, and I'm going to jump right into it. I want to talk to you about a man named Naaman. The king of Aram, verse 1, I think it's on the screen here. The king of Aram had great admiration for Naaman. Look at this. He was the commander of the king's army because through him the Lord had given Aram great victories. So he's this victorious commander, right? But, look at that big word there, but, everybody said but. You said but in church. But, though Naaman was a mighty warrior, a successful commander, read it with me, he suffered from, interesting, very interesting. Naaman was a highly regarded and respected leader, but he had leprosy. And guess what? No one knew it. He kept it hidden. If you can imagine in those days, you know, there wasn't running water everywhere. It wasn't easy just to run down to Walmart and buy a new outfit. It wasn't even easy to clean your clothes at that time. So in secret, he would, you know what leprosy is. I don't have to explain that. It's horrible sores on your body. and It was incurable at that time. It would absolutely kill you. So it was gross. It had ooze coming out of your skin, and it was just getting worse and worse and spread and spread and spread. It was very contagious as well. So if you had it, you had to be very secretive about it, especially if you were that high up as a commander. So imagine the amount of time that he had to spend every day wrapping those wounds in some form of gauze that they had at the time. You couldn't run down to Walgreens and get a package of gauze. So what he had to do to conceal and cover those wounds uh, was probably staggering. And then on top of that, because he was a great warrior, he would put on shiny armor. Beautiful, beautiful shiny armor, maybe some version of uh, stripes or stars or uh, shiny metals or things like that. And he would cover up all of his weak areas with his beautiful, beautiful army uh, 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 armor. And here's what I want to say to you very simply is we all hide our weaknesses, Everybody does it, right? They do it at work. You may have done it at work. We hide things from our boss. Uh, we sneak in or we sneak out or we, 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 we messed up an order and, and we, we try to conceal those things. We do it with our friends. We do it with our family. And we for sure do it online, don't we? I mean, we're really good at just as, as what Josh calls it, the highlight reel. And we only put the best and the brightest things out there. And then the few people that do actually air some of their dirty laundry, we just unlike them. Because the truth is we just don't want to hear it. Just show me the picture of the perfect setting and the leaves falling and everybody's got, you know, all the girls are like. I do not know what it is with that pose on Facebook, but every girl under the age of 25 cannot just go. They have to put their hand on their hip and turn like this. They just have to do it, right? Some of you are laughing because you're like, dang, I just posted that this morning. Hello, don't I look sexy? I don't want you to fall today. See, I don't want to talk about work or your friends or your family or anything like that. I want to talk about you and me today. You see, you're here today because you chose to be. I mean, you're at some level of loving Jesus or looking, okay? You're somewhere in there. You really, really love him. You're dedicated. You're faithful. Or maybe you're just seeking, searching, looking, whatever. But so, so you're either loving or looking here today. But regardless, you chose to be. So there's something inside of you that says there's a greater power 
Uh, there, there's a creator. There's something out there that I want to know that I want to be connected to. So I applaud you for being here today. You and I both know there should be more people filling up all of our church houses today. But you're here. They're not. So I want to talk to you about you, and I want to talk about uh, me today. God-fearing, Jesus-loving, spirit-filled believers. And here's the truth. Christians are the worst at hiding their weaknesses, especially strong Christians. And like the stronger and older you become in your Christian walk, the better you get at deceiving and covering and lying. I love being around just saved people. I mean, they are fun. I mean, I have story after story of guys getting up and like, he just got saved two weeks ago. He just got off meth. He was out of jail, for, you know, a month ago. And he gets up and he says, man, I remember this one time this guy got up and says, man, I hate the effing devil in a testimony service, you know, sitting in a small group one time. And this guy says, man, this is hard. Y'all need to pray for me. I love Jesus. This is hard. And, of course, what do all the Christians do? <gasps> oh, my goodness. I've not heard a dirty word in a while. And inside, I'm applauding and leaping, going, yes, I hate the pet devil too. Right? Look at my wife shaking her head. It's very common. It's normal. But at least it was real. At least it wasn't like, well, glory to God, hallelujah, thank you. I'm just too blessed to be stressed. I'm too anointed to be disappointed. <laughs> My wife hates me, but glory. I mean, come on. Christians are the worst at hiding. Even more so are pastors and leaders. Of course, not yours. You see, when you're called to lead people, when, when, when you're a leader, especially if you're on stage, but if you're called to lead people, people unintentionally, without even knowing it, puts you on a pedestal. They do. And the standards change and their idea of you changes. I mean, just look on Facebook at how we just pick pastors apart. And I will tell you, I hate it. I hate it. I'm not going to go there right now, but I'll just tell you, I hate it. Some people just don't like certain pastors or don't like certain movements or whatever. And I just, I just, I just, I mean, come on. All churches, I mean, as churches and ministries grow and they flourish, people love and respect those people even more, right? In most cases. Which causes you, because of your success, to hide your weaknesses even more. Because now that I'm even more popular or that I've gotten this greater position or, you know, Pastor Josh has, you know, moved me from, from here to here and, and, and now I'm over this or, man, I'm kind of on part-time salary or, or I'm moving from here, I'm getting these promotions. Well, the more that we try to heal, uh, you know, uh, uh, conceal and hide these, these weaknesses. I mean, why in the world would I want anyone to know my weaknesses? It, it might be embarrassing. Or one that's genuine, that, that's authentic, that we really believe is, well, what if I let somebody down? Let me just tell you, you're going to let somebody down, and someone's going to let you down. You know, it's, uh, you were singing some little thing there at the end of that one song. He, I don't know, he never lets go, or I don't know what it was. And, and he's always there in the fire or some, some words like that. It's, it's wonderful. And I'm sitting there thinking, you know, it doesn't matter what hell I've gone through in my life, I never really have, have fallen in my love from the Lord. I never have, have stopped that. I mean, as, as dark as everything got in the last year and a half of my life, I, it, it never, my relationship with the Lord didn't, didn't waver. But my hatred for people went through the roof. See, it wasn't God that let me down. It was just tons of people. And so none of us know we, we, we may we may get mad at God, but God never lets us down. He never leaves us, forsakes us, turns his back on us, right? We're the apple of his eye, we're in the palm of his hand. You can't get away from him, right? So we know that stuff, but there's nothing worse than the pain of people that you thought that loved you that don't, that run when everything breaks up in your life. We know God's not going to do that, so we don't even know what that pain feels like because he hasn't left us or forsake us. All the pain that we feel are from God's supposed people. Oh. So it becomes a very dangerous thing for a leader as they grow and get more popularity or you increase in position 
See, here's what I'm, I've learned is that when your condition contradicts your calling, it gets pretty scary. When, when, when who you really are stands in conflict with what God's calling you to be, when who you really are under it all is in contradiction of what God is calling you to be, then that's when the enemy sneaks in and you start to lie and to cover and conceal. Because by God, my calling is amazing. I mean, what God has put in my heart to do is out of this world. Anybody, any, any dreamers in the house today? I mean, God, the calling on my life. And man, that time I did something and I was under the anointing, it's so much bigger than me. That's what it should be. So, and you feel that. So the enemy actually uses that anointing and that incredible calling to say, you can't let anybody know the truth. You would be letting down God's anointing. You would be letting down the people that have trusted you. Just just work harder. Again, I told you I started ministry at 19. I, I will be 43 tomorrow. All gift cards accepted. That can be dropped off at the back. And briefly, let me just tell you this. At 19 years old, of course, I was the youngest youth pastor in Texarkana, uh, Arkansas, Texas, where I grew up, where we grew up together. And within, I I didn't know I was going to be in full-time ministry. I I was going to do something in the medical field or something. I was in college at the time. And I had a pastor who believed in me, poured into me. And within six months, we literally had, as a dating couple in ministry, within six months, we were full-time in ministry and had 100 kids in our youth group. And we didn't even have a church building. We were renting the YWCA setting up and tearing down every weekend and doing church. And we were radical. I mean, just on fire for Jesus. Early 90s, dragging a cross up and down State Line Avenue, writing thousands of gospel tracts and handing them out. Is that just that, that age of street ministry and just raw grit and head banging and, you know, DC talk, Jesus freak, banging, you know, newsboys. I mean, just, it was, I mean, worship was a mosh pit. We literally had a mosh pit in our in our youth worship services, it was awesome. It was anointed, and the sweat, every it was amazing. But we really loved uh, the Lord and saw some incredible miracles. Uh, I'd love to share more with you about those things, but that time was so precious and pure at that time in my life. And as all things that are, are pure and precious, they can eventually get spoiled if you don't take care of them. And that church ended up getting spoiled, and we got hurt. And we left and went to Dallas, Texas, to go be a part of Christ for the Nations. My wife taught at a school there. That's where I met Josh. And I was only in Dallas for two brief years, and it was a good little time of healing. I was part of a church called Grace Church, which I thought was very fitting, the name. So we experienced some grace there. And then we got called down to a church, a larger church, down in Victoria, Texas, called Faith Family Church, and we served there for four years. We saw a youth group grow from about 120 or so at that time to about 450, 400 and it was amazing. It was, it was an incredible time. We built lifelong relationships there, people that we're still friends with today. And in the midst of all that, uh, I got a call from a small town in Oklahoma that I was 30 years old at the time. They were looking for a pastor, and I said, no. I said, I'm not ready. Because something deep inside of me said from 19 to 30, although I'd experienced incredible success, had done, had done dozens of school assemblies, had whole teams of 20 people who would go with me, and we'd do dances and break bricks and do all kinds of things, had spoken on multiple platforms in front of thousands of people, had literally at that point in our ministry probably seen 5,000 decisions for Christ, having a fantastic time. But even then, there was a little red flag in my spirit at 30 that said, you're not ready. I said, God, I mean, I've been doing this for 11 years at the time. What do you mean I'm not ready? But we eventually, with you know, some guidance and people that believed in us, we did. We went. That church at the time was young, about three years old. It had about 100 people in it at the time, maybe 120. And really, within the first six months, it doubled. It went to 250. And within the first 10 or 11 months, we added a second service. This is in a town of under 10,000 people in Oklahoma, rural Oklahoma, very, um, you know, impoverished type area. So it wasn't a metropolitan city at all. It was very remote, very small. But we, but we loved the people. 
We love the ministry. We love the church. Soon after, we added a third service. We were building staff. That church grew to probably somewhere around 700 or so. We raised money. We were getting ready to do a building campaign and you know, do all kinds of, of great things. Um, it had served there for 10 years. So at that point now, I'm 40 years old, 41 years old, with no formal training, no seminary, just street smarts, just grit, determination. And I'll just, let me just say it, skill, talent, a, a genuine love for the Lord. But I, I, I can look and say now that my talent, my skill, and that anointing outweighed my character development. When your talent takes you places that your character can't sustain you, you're in trouble. Because everybody along the way, as long as you're succeeding, props you up. Tells you how awesome you are. Amen? So as I look back, I I know that I never really dealt with who I really was. I never did the deep personal work to uncover how dark my heart really was. Any weakness or character flaws were beautifully decorated by accolades of others. They were hidden by successes in ministry. So I can relate with Naaman in the fact that he could lead and he could win, but his circumstance was limiting. Eventually, it would consume him. It would literally eat him alive if he didn't get a hold of it. Read it again. Though Naaman, through Naaman, the Lord had given Aram great victories, but though Naaman was a mighty warrior, he had leprosy. He suffered from leprosy. Circle the word but if you've got your Bible there or highlight it in your iPhone or whatever. A great and mighty warrior, but he had leprosy. I don't know how else to say it today. I'm not even trying to be funny, but it's going to be funny, I guess. We're all trying to cover our butt. And some of us have a bigger butt than others. There's all different kinds of shapes and sizes of butts. And some of them stink, and some of them are kind of shiny. Some of them are, you know, what different colors and shapes and sizes, but we're all trying to cover our butts. In life, I was a great warrior, but I had leprosy. So many of us, especially me, were just trying to hide my butt. And everyone has this butt or butts in their life. We become masters at cleverly disguising and hiding and decorating and covering our butts. I'm a great dad, but I'm addicted to porn. I'm a wonderful mother, but I'm strung out on Oxycontin. I'm a great church leader. I'm leading the children's ministry. I, I greet people at the door, but, but my marriage is on the verge of divorce, and no one knows it. It seems the longer a person is in the Christian world, the higher they go in the ranks of promotion, the greater the temptation to cover, conceal, and play the image game. Here it is, covering the very thing that is eating away at you privately while you succeed publicly. We cover our leprosy with accomplishments and accolades. The things that I flow in easily, there are things that your pastor just flows in. There's things that I just flow in that just come natural to me. Other guys in ministry would look and say, how does Josh do that? How does, how does Leslie see that? Because it comes natural. It's a God gift. And the things that you flow in so easily can also become the greatest barriers in your life employing your abilities to cover your weaknesses. Naaman covered his sores and he hid his overall condition, but given enough time, given enough time, it will spread and it will kill you if you don't deal with it. If you don't deal with your butt, your butt will kill you. I don't know about you, but I'd much rather people gaze at my gift than gawk at my butt. It's not fun, is it? Don't make fun of me. Don't laugh at me. Don't ridicule me. Don't look at my gift. Look at my accolade. Look at my accomplishments. Look at all these things by my name. I've never been to a funeral where they listed their weaknesses. I've never been to a, a, a ceremony at a college where they 
or, they, or, or you have a guest speaker where they say, hey, we've got Jeff Allred speaking here today. Let me tell you what a miserable sinner he is. You know, we don't do that. We introduce people and we know people by their successes, not by their failures. And I'm here to tell you that it's your failures that shape you more than your successes. I can relate. Amen. I bet you can too. Disciplined in one way, but filled with excuses in another. Amen. You see, I don't want to talk about how disciplined I am in one area and how completely impulsive and out of control I am in another. All the while, we have these disgusting sores that we hide with shiny armor. Get back to the story, verse 2. At this time, Aram, um, Aramine, or the, the, the raiders, had invaded the land of Israel, and, and among the captives was a young little girl. That's all you've got to know right now. There's a young girl who was taken captive and then moved into Naaman's house as Naaman's maid. One day, verse 3, the little girl said to Naaman's wife, I wish the master would go to see the prophet in Samaria, and he would heal him of his leprosy. Now, it's not written here, but I can just add a little bit to it, I think. that I think that Naaman's wife is like to the maid. We don't, we don't talk about that around here. The little girl sees the truth. You know why? Because she lived with Naaman. She saw the real Naaman. See, if there were cameras in your or my house all the time and everything you did or said or thought was broadcast to the world, then people would really know what's going on. See, the servant girl said, I see the master cleaning and wrapping his wounds. I see him covering them with pieces of armor. I can just tell you this. It's not a new news to you. You can't hide who you really are at home. Those who are the closest to you know you. So listen to them. For me, that's my wife, and I need to listen to my wife more. She's like my guardian of character. She's my protector. She is annoying to me at times because she's so right about things, and she sees around the corner a little bit. Sometimes God hides the help that we need in the place that we would look at last. She said, if he would just go to the prophet and seek prayer, he'd get healed. He was a public hero with a private pain. Naaman knew, if I don't get control of what's happening underneath my armor, I won't be able to fight any more battles on the battlefield. But the enemy lies to us, doesn't he? The enemy lies to us. says, oh, no, no, dude, you're all right. You got this. Just, you know, try a little harder or whatever. We become comfortable. See, you could do a whole message on this. I'm sure Pastor Josh has, but Jesus didn't call us to be comfortable, right? Uh, We're called to be content, but not comfortable. And the enemy lies to us and tells us, hey, it's all right. The truth is, though, you're only running at about 30%. You've got to deal with what's killing you so that you can accomplish what God is calling you to. You've got to deal with what's killing you. Every one of us have something in here today that's eating away at us like leprosy. If you don't deal with that, then it's going to limit what God's called you to do. In verse 4, the king found out about Naaman's problem. And the king liked Naaman, right, because he had brought a lot of victory. So the king said, hey, dude, I'll send a letter. I'll send some gifts, uh, and we'll get you in to go get some prayer at this uh, healing time. And so verse 9, look at what happened. And what time is it, by the way? Okay. So Naaman went with his... Now, try to picture this, okay? Naaman's the guy with leprosy, right? And, and his, his king, his supporter, sent a letter with him, sent all kinds of stuff. So then Naaman is making the trip to go see Elisha, the prophet, so he can be prayed for to be healed of leprosy. But you could not be healed of leprosy were it not for a miracle from Jehovah. Amen? Because it was not going to happen any other way. So Naaman went with, look how he went. He went with his horses and chariots and waited at the door of Elisha's house. But Elisha, so he's all out there with his horses and chariots, you know, maybe a couple of camels loaded down with, you know, some Camelac stuff. And he's, you know, got all his gifts and presents and accolades and stuff. And he shows up out there. But Elisha didn't even come outside. He sent a messenger with this message. Hey, um, 
um, go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River, and then your skin will be restored, and you'll be healed of all your leprosy. Peace out. I ain't even coming outside. That's what happened. Isn't that crazy? On the surface, it was an easy task. Go rinse yourself in the river seven times, but deep down, everyone wants, when they decide to get right, they want it to be done their way. Oh, when I decide I'm going to confess this and I'm going to get it right, um, I have some expectations of how this is going to go down. We're going to light candles. Uh, you're going to say this, and I'm going to say that, and I'm going to cry, and you're going to, you're going to embrace me, and, and, and it's all going to happen this way because, I mean, I'm finally to this point. And no one likes to be embarrassed. No one likes to be shamed. So he's thinking, I, you know, I want to quietly go into Elisha's house. You know, I'd like for it to be kind of done secretly. Um, but he wants me to go down to this public river where they're washing clothes, they're bathing their babies. Uh, there might be, you know, poop in the water. Um, I, you know, he wants me to go down there. I mean, I am a warrior. I am a bad dude. I got lots of armor on, okay? Plus, you want me to go take all that off and dip in this water in front of everybody. When they see my leprosy, they're going to scream and run away. Because who wants to bathe with a leper? See, men don't like being embarrassed, especially men. Sometimes a man would rather die than be humiliated. Almost every man's greatest need is for some form of accolade, some form of honor in their life. And the person they need from the most is their wife, by the way. They need that. But it's also the thing that keeps us from repenting humbly before God. Verse 11, but Naaman became angry. Here, listen to what he did. He stalked away. He said, I thought he would certainly come out to meet me, he said. I expected him to wave his hand over me and the leprosy and, and, and call him, Lord, and God would heal me. And then he said, oh, and by the way, aren't the rivers back home better than any of these rivers in Israel? Why should I wash in them and be healed? So Naaman turned away and went away mad. See, the things that seem beneath you are many times the things that are going to be used to heal you. And that stinks. Because it means your pride's got to fly out the window. It means you're going to have to get vulnerable with somebody. Pride's a powerful thing. It holds us back. Naaman said, I thought that he would certainly come out and see me. I expected him to wave his hand and heal my leprosy. You see, here's what I'm learning. We all have preconceived ideas. You ever been let down before? You ever had a preconceived idea that your husband was going to have the dishwasher unloaded when you got home? Did you ever have the expectation that your wife was going to, you know, maybe, you know, come out, you know, in lingerie that night and, 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 and surprise you? And she came out in a flannel? You know, did you have an expectation about your birthday? Have an ex- expectation about your boss? You have an expectation about that enemy, that friend. You had an expectation about how this phone call, this conversation, or you got that text from someone like, what? I had an expectation of how this was supposed to go down. I want to tell you, folks, your expectations will lead to huge heartache. Surely, I thought marriage would be this way. I thought... He would, I, I, I just expected her to, I mean, I, I thought this new job, I expected my boss to, to this or that. I, I, I just thought that she, I thought my friends would, how about this one? I expected the church to, well, that one was me. I'm looking at the camera, that one was me. I thought things should be this way. Or could have happened this way. Here's the deal, man. Your, your miracle, your answered prayer, it may already be in progress, but it's probably not coming in the form that you wanted it to come. And that may not be coming through the person or through the pathway that you had expected or you had masterfully designed. It may require different things than you thought it should. 
Naaman had plans for his healing, but don't let your plans keep you from God's purpose. To Naaman, the Jordan River was a disgrace. It was small. It was muddy. He said, aren't the rivers back home better than that? Here's an interesting tidbit for you. The word Jordan is literally translated the descent. The descent. So, and that's sweet. Isn't that cool? Here's what God spoke to me. God meets those who are willing to go down to descend to a place of desperation, of honesty, humility, and brokenness. The Lord will meet you when you take a dip in dirty water. I've had to face a lot of hard things in the last year and a half of my life. Turning point came for me about 18, 19 months ago when I went and sat down with a couple of friends and decided to be honest. I got in my truck and I drove from Oklahoma to Grand Prairie, Texas. I sat down in my, in, my, in my friend's, your pastor's house, stayed with him two nights. I was here for another self-building conference where I was being praised for accolades in ministry. And just a week before, I'd lost my job. about to lose my wife and I sat down there the first time told the truth and began to uncover I hurt see at my church I had a whole lot of power I had a lot of authority I had great staff and what I did is I just bought things that I wanted and it started out me buying things for the church and doing stuff. But I had this little credit card, this little piece of plastic. And it was really easy to buy other things for myself. And I spent money that did not belong to me on a church credit card. Then I lied about it to my wife. I lied about it to my board. I lied about it to my family. I lied about it to my friends. And through all kinds of series of events and things, that came to light. And I still lied about it. I was still trying to cover my butt. Maybe it would have gotten a whole lot better if I would have just come clean in the beginning, but I didn't trust. I was scared to death. So I sat there on their couch, and I began to uncover. One story at a time, charge at a time. Finally, after 22 years of ministry, I started coming clean about some of the things in my life that I was a sinner. I was damaged. I was messed up. I was dark. I had had experienced failures. I can tell you, there's nothing more powerful than confession. Not just to God, but to God's people. To someone that you can trust. It's a spiritual principle. It's therapeutically healing. It's it's supernaturally cleansing. It's a spiritual principle that's rarely talked about in church. Come on. It's repentance is very is very rarely talked about in church. The power of just sitting down in community, an authentic community, and just being real about what's going on in your life and about your weaknesses. And within the ministerial community, it's very, very rare. You see, in today's feel-good, highly polished Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Internet culture, it's, it's a distant memory. But who wants to repent anyway? I mean, who wants to talk about their weaknesses and struggles and failures and concerns and, 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 and risk exposure and ridicule? I can tell you who. Only those who want to be here. Only those who want to get rid of the last sore of leprosy. Here's what God's been reminding me, Jeff. I don't love you because of your gift. I don't need you, Jeff Allred, for your calling. I just want you. I don't care what you've done. I'm only interested in who you are. I just want you. 
Jeff, will you follow me? Will you obey me? Will you take the dive in the muddy water? And I've taken that dive a couple of times. I'll tell you, I'm not, I, don't, I don't think I'm finished. I'm not standing up here today by any stretch of the imagination to preach to you. I'm still messed up. I'm still hurting. I'm still deeply wounded. Your pastor, my friend, that took a chance on having me here today. You know what I'm doing right now? I'm remodeling houses. Branson, Missouri. I'm working my tail off. For the first time in 22 years, I'm not on a salary. And I love it. I'm grinding it out just like you guys. I'm not in ministry. I'm not studying every week to write a message. I'm not trying to feed people or do anything like that. I'm just working and laying tile and putting up walls and hanging sheetrock and running electricity, getting shocked every now and then. It's all right. Oh, Holy Ghost. I mean, just like, you know, running water, getting sprayed in the face with holy water. It's just fantastic, and I'm just doing it, trying to take care of a family that God's entrusted with. I'm thankful for my wife. I'm thankful for my kids. I've got a 15- and 11-year-old that have moved to Branson with me. My wife has this resilient tough fighter very thankful for you but we're not done we're not we're not finished yet so i don't know what the future holds for us but let me just close with some statements here is that we all have spots under our armor we all have things that are eating us up we all have some secrets that that no one knows and my encouragement to you today is this to stop running and deal with it but let me just clarify that statement. I don't mean just deal with it, like just stop it or just, you know, try harder. I'm, I'm saying this. Let me be very, very clear. You cannot do it on your own. You have to surrender to authentic relationships. I believe that you can't even just do it alone with just you and God because I tried that. I thought, okay. I'm going to walk out onto my 20 acres of land here in this beautiful home that we had, and I'm just going to confess it all to God. But we're not going to tell anybody else. And I did that. I cried. I wailed. I mourned before the Lord. But do you think that was enough? Because the Lord wants a full exposure for the leprosy to be healed. And I'm telling you, it hurts. So the only way that you can get this kind of healing is if you confess to God and confess to other people. Don't ignore what's underneath. Last verse today is a chapter in the Bible that I've spent a long time in. A good 10 months, I was stuck in this chapter every day. You should read it, Psalm 32. It's David when he's at one of his low points. He'd messed up with that girl and uh, killed a guy and done all kinds of things. And he says, when I refuse to confess my sin, you ever been there? What happened? My body wasted away. And he said, I groaned all day long. Day and night, God, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Resisting from repentance is exhausting. Everyone here has a but today, and I just want to tell you, it's okay. It is okay. It's okay. It's normal. Everybody has a jacked-up family. Everybody has a history. Everybody has a past. Everybody has things in their life that we just aren't super proud of. And it's okay. We've got to stop damaging one another. We've got to create spaces and places and environments where trust is is celebrated. It can be authentic. Do you think that we could do a better job at being better godly friends to someone, creating safe places where we can talk. Because I can tell you Christians are the meanest people on the planet. The people that we thought would run to us and, and bring healing ran away. And I have major hurt over it still. I'm still dealing with that. And I know for a fact it shouldn't be that way. So you're a sinner. I'm a sinner. 
Yes, we've been saved by grace, but I want to tell you, we're still very fragile. The Bible says that we're, we're nothing, at our best, we're nothing but a broken vessel that's been put back together. I mean, any of you ladies like, you know, having a vase that was broken and try to hot glue it back together again and then put water in it? No, you just throw it away. But God works the opposite. He looks for the broken vessel so that he can do his thing and put it back together. In fact, Scripture calls you and I clay pots. So God loves restoring broken pots. He loves it. And on your best day, you're nothing but a crack pot. God loves to put broken lives back together again, and that's all I'm going to say. He's doing it in my life right now. And, and it's deeper than I ever really thought it would be. I know that it can be so much deeper than it even is right now. Um, and I would just encourage you to embrace your church family, to get involved in some sort of a small group, and you don't have to confess your sin to 20 people. You just need to find one. One plus Jesus is plenty. Amen? You don't have to go to the small group and dominate the whole small group time with 28 minutes of all your failures. That's not, we don't even want that. I, I can't even have enough popcorn to stomach that. But just be honest. Go home, be honest with your wife. Be honest with your kids. If you're failing at home with your family, just go tell them. Just go tell your kids. Be like, hey, I'm just not the best dad. I'm just not. I mean, those are some of the hardest conversations I've had to have is, sorry, guys, you're going to be uprooted from everything. You've got, to be, you've got to be moved from your lifelong home that you've always known, and we've got to move you to Missouri to a place that's going to love and appreciate pastors and help us get some healing and you got to say goodbye to all your friends. Why? Because dad messed up. So dads, if you're honest with your kids, it's very powerful. If you're honest with your wife, it's very powerful. If you're honest with a friend or two, it's very powerful. Hey, I love you guys. Thanks for having me. God bless you.